welcome to the Go Within podcast. My name is Yasmin and we're back after a little break, a coronavirus induced break, back with a new episode. And this is the first episode that's going to be, that has been recorded online. So I hope we've managed to preserve the essence of this show, which is, you know, where I sit down with people who have been on a deep inner journey and they share the challenges, the successes, the things they've learned on the way and little tidbits of wisdom that can inspire you and motivate you and support you along your own inner journey. Today's guest is Nicole Gibson. She's the founder of the Love Out Loud movement in Australia. It's a, a worldwide movement. She's a speaker and author and space facilitator, retreats, online courses, etc. And what she's essentially teaching and, and sharing her inspiration of is the importance of love and how we can each become more loving in our lives. This is a really beautiful conversation. We go into Nicole's own personal journey, what caused her to really change her perspective on life, you know, the, the events and experiences that really made her who she is today. And then we talk a little bit about the concept of love, how we can, how we can become closer to that ideal as human beings in our material lives with all our baggage and egos that we bring to the table and she also shares a little bit about her movement and you know its aims how it got started and how you can get involved too so I think this is a really beautiful conversation you know conversations like these about love can seem very ethereal and almost like a little bit too idealistic and optimistic and, and not realistic um, but you know Nicole's story is one that's very practical and she has really applied these things into her daily life and that's what I found very touching and inspiring about this conversation so I hope you'll enjoy it as always you know my key objective out of this podcast is to support people to go within on their own journey so if you know anyone who is either struggling or is aspiring to know themselves better, then please share this with them if you think it will help them. Thank you so much. And here we go. Beautiful. So welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for, for being here on the Go Within podcast. Um, I'd really love to start to share your journey. Just, you know, most of us, we're kind of brought up into a society and we 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 come in with these sets of values and beliefs and we just kind of plod along <laughs> and then sometimes we just have this moment or a series of events in our life that shift our perspective and make us see the world differently so maybe you can just share a little bit about those moments for you and how you came to to shift your way of seeing the world yeah for sure i love having conversations about um how to wake up in the matrix <laughs> You know, I think that there's uh, there's two ways that we can awaken. The first is through our pain and having so much pain that your back's against a wall and you're kind of forced into a position of change or inspiration uh, to be really inspired by uh, something to the point that it pulls you towards a different way of being. And the latter is definitely how I try and live my life now. But in the beginning of my journey, pain was definitely the, the trigger to start to ask questions. Um, I guess for me, I had a very un unconventional childhood. So there was always a, a bit of a difference um, in that, that I had uh, many, many different sorts of experiences from a young age. I grew up between Europe and Australia. 
went to 10 different schools. Wow. So, so I was starting somewhere, I was, you know, getting ready to leave. And that was, I guess, a good lesson in non-attachment. And also I was a very observant kid. So always just analyzing everything, asking so many questions. Like my favorite question was why? And when I couldn't get a satisfactory answer, that would drive me insane. So I couldn't just leave things alone. I was, I was never a child to sort of just accept what I was hearing. I wanted evidence. I wanted to know why, you know, and when adults in my life told me because I told you so, or that's just the way it is, that drove me absolutely mental. Um, and it was an accumulation of all of those things until about 14 years old where I recognized that mainstream school was just really not my jam. It didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why we had to sit at desks from, you know, 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. just because the teacher told you. Like, that, it wasn't enough of a reason for me. Um, so I started to look for alternative options and decided to pursue performance full-time from 14. I went to a performance academy. And on one hand, I was put into an environment that was really suited. Like I was given an opportunity to express and to be creative and um, think divergently and all of those things were encouraged. But what no one kind of helped me understand is the importance of self-care and self-love. So I was put into this environment where it was highly competitive. There was a lot of pressure. I was naturally perfectionistic. Um, so I wanted to be the best. And what I didn't understand is it's never about being the best in comparison to others, but that was very much the mindset that I adopted, that I have to be the best compared to my peers, which created a, a huge amount of separation that I was constantly, um, yeah, just separate to, to those around me and thinking that I had to, to win, which is a very toxic mindset. And I think a mindset that many of us have subconsciously adopted that I'm in competition to you and the only way that I can succeed in life is if I'm better than you or have more than you is, is actually what I realize now and what, what my work continues to show me is it's very unnatural for human beings to think this way. Naturally, we're cooperative. Naturally, we're meant to actually work together and see each other as kin because once upon a time, that was survival. You know, survival depended on us working together. So in not understanding that and not ever being taught that or understanding things like going within and becoming self-secure and loving myself, uh, I started to develop a very toxic eating disorder. But I didn't realise that's sort of the, the, the thing that had a grip on me because a lot of the behaviours were being very rewarded the more... I lost weight, the more I disciplined myself, the more I became obsessed with my routines, the more that that was actually rewarded by the industry that I was in. So it took a very critical point for people to actually start recognizing, you know, I was not on an okay trajectory. And by that point, it was hard to come to terms with because I'd had so much reward up until that point. Um, and my life was at risk by that point. I was in a very critical state in, in my health. So I guess for me, I was confronted with a choice. I was wrapped up in this identity of perfection or what I believed to be perfect. And I had sacrificed so much of my emotion and my time investing in this sort of criteria that I thought would, have, would make me enough or make me suited to succeeding in that industry. Uh, and then I had to face the fact that all of that investment was misguided 
and I was either going to die for that identity and that ego construct or change. And by that point, I had been within so much suffering that it just wasn't enough for me to recover and go on to live a normal life. I think I really needed to create a magnificent vision that could give me a reason to kind of transcend that suffering and to go through confronting those aspects of myself and for, for the pain and the suffering to not be in vain. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where the journey began was just the commitment to myself that I'm going to choose me in the most radical way. And I'm going to create a vision of, for my life that inspires me in, in every single aspect in order to transcend that suffering. And I think that that is what allows us to transcend our suffering is when we give ourselves to something much bigger than us. Beautiful. There's just so many <laughs> things I want to dive into about that. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's amazing how sometimes, you know, the depth of those challenges really force us to not just get back to normal, but actually find something deeper and more beautiful. Um, and it's, it's a nice reminder for anyone out there listening who's going through challenge um, that it, it can be such a blessing for us. I'd love to just spend a moment because I think a lot of people who I interview on this podcast have gone through some kind of pain and some situation that, as you said, put their backs against the wall. And I, I, I don't, I'd just love to get your thoughts on this. I, I see that we, we've created a society that is very materialistic and very empty and as children and as teenagers especially we find coping mechanisms to deal with that and you know for some people it's controlling their food for other people it's you know video games or social media or drugs or alcohol there's just so many ways that we have to cope and I think this is just really a failure of our education system that we're not taught how to go within from a younger age I don't know if you see this you know, in the same way or if you have any thoughts about kind of that situation and, and what an issue it is for us as a society. Mm. So to, to just to make sure I understand the question, how our society is and the way that that um, facilitates people needing to find control in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel um, when we have cultures that are founded on individuality, uh, because it's so removed from our natural way of being, which is interconnectedness. Um, it's, it's like you know, a dog is a, is a pack animal. You know, that's why it's so loyal to its owners. Um, if you have a pet dog, you know, they're, they're meant to live in packs. Human beings are tribal. We're meant to live in tribes. We, we need a sense of belonging. In fact, we don't feel safe unless we have a sense of belonging in the world. So in a society, in a culture that doesn't facilitate that very easily because it's constantly pinning you against this idea that you're, sorry, it's my messages going off. Um, it's constantly pinning you against this idea that you're not enough. Um, there's going to be a backlash to buying into that narrative. And I think as a child, you don't have an ability to think critically. You don't have an ability to really um, have a perspective on where this is all coming from and even as an adult many people don't question the system or you know the the world that we the constructs that we live within and um therefore i think 
trying to find a sense of um, ease, trying to find a relief from what fundamentally is not natural and it's causing us trauma. It doesn't matter who you are. I think the way the world is, is going to inflict trauma in some way. I think a lot of people are just numb to how that trauma has, has impacted them. So on the flip side of that, there's going to be um, symptoms like addiction. You know, the opposite of addiction, I believe, is um, connection. When you're connected, you, you're not engaging in addictive behaviours. And that might be, as you said, video games. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be toxic relationships or sex. It might be food. Um, it might be all of the above. You know, <laughs> um, I think the most important question to ask yourself is what are you struggling to be with? What are you not able to be present within yourself that is then driving that impulse to engage in those sorts of behaviors? And there will be something the more you inquire. For me, um, the impulse to starve myself, which was an addiction, and the way that I had to rehabilitate myself was by framing it as an addiction so that I could um, understand how to heal and change my behaviors. What I couldn't look at was, um, what I couldn't accept or be present to were my imperfections. So anytime I felt imperfect, the mechanism was self-criticism. I didn't want to be in self-criticism. So the way I gained control over that was through um, controlling my food and sort of reaching this ideal or what I thought was an ideal uh, that would have made me enough. Obviously that's a never ending cycle, just like any addiction. You are an alcoholic, you drink alcohol, you wake up, you feel ashamed and the cycle continues. Um, that's the struggle until you really go within and get comfortable being present with the roots of that, your behavior can't actually change in a sustainable way. So did you have any support at that time? Because, you know, to undo all of this is, it's quite a job. <laughs> How did you actually manage to kind of get your head out of, out of this space? It's a really great question. Yeah, in, in some ways I had support, you know, there were specialists and therapists that I work with. But when people ask me this question, the one thing I really want people to hear is I could have had all of those specialists and more. I could have had the world's best facilitators. But until I made a powerful decision to choose health and to choose healing and to choose change, nothing would have changed. The most powerful aspect of my journey was the choice that I made and the commitment I made to myself um, and to my future. Until you're there in yourself, yeah, it's important to have people supporting. It's important to have a mirror outside of you, but it has to start with you. Um, and that was definitely true in my journey. In fact, I went through a period of um, my rehabilitation where I hadn't chosen myself and I was being seen as a subject in the eyes of my doctors and my specialists, um, but I wasn't getting better. It wasn't until I made that commitment to myself. And yeah, from there, it's sort of like, I think when you make a choice, the universe will conspire to support you, but not until you make that full commitment. And when I made that full commitment, it wasn't, it wasn't a linear process. You know, it wasn't like followed this um, set of, list yeah, this list that your practitioner gives you and you'll, and you'll magically heal it was a consistent process of 
showing up and trusting the synchronicities that were occurring in my life, trusting the guidance that was occurring in my life and just fundamentally believing that I was going to heal and that there was going to be a life beyond that prison that I had created in my head. I always tell people there's no map to the inner journey. You just have to kind of figure it out and take, put one foot in front of the other. (laughs) I'm quite curious because you've, I mean, we're going to get to your story of the movement that you started a bit later, but I'm just curious at this point, you've, you've worked with hundreds of, or maybe thousands of people by this stage. Have you noticed anything that kind of helps us get to that point? Because you are so right until we empower ourselves and decide to, take responsibility for the, the, the our state of mind and our life it's very difficult to make real change and that is the addict that like you know decides they're going to change and then they wake up the next day and they just keep perpetuating the habit but then one day there is that change which is very very deep it's almost like a, an awakening of the soul where you just say enough and, and you move in a different direction you probably can't answer this but have you noticed anything that you know maybe some some similar things that happen around that time that people can kind of look out for or use to help them get to that stage a bit earlier Mm. so the stage where you decide and you you actually change yeah i think the pattern that i notice is you have to get to the point that every part of you is sick of that pain that's, that's if pain is the motivator. Like I said at the, at the beginning, I think that there's two motivators to change. The first is pain and suffering. And I think within that, you've got to get to a point where you just cannot be in that pain anymore. And there's an expression that I love, and it is a feather, a brick, a bus. And it's talking about what it, what it takes to awaken a human being. And the universe is going to come and strike you with a feather, And that's going to be subtle. You know, that's like your invitation to make change in an easy way. If you take that, you know, invitation, it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be easy and the universe will support you. Many people don't take that first invitation. They're not taking the feather. So when you decline that invitation from the universe, it's going to come and hit you with a brick. And it's not doing that because it, you know, wants to punish you. It's not doing that because it hates you. It's doing that because the feather wasn't enough to get your attention. And when, when many people are walking through their life, not paying attention, it's going to take a bigger circumstance. It's going to take more pain before they really start to listen and pay attention. So if you get hit by a brick and you still don't listen, the universe is like, okay, well, what's it take? It's going to come and hit you with a bus. And unfortunately, from what I've seen, most people wait you know, until that, whether that's they wait until they've lost a loved one. They wait until there's a health crisis in their own life. They wait until they're made redundant. They wait until their abusive partner decides to leave them, whatever it is. And at that point, there's nowhere else to go. They're at rock bottom. And at that point, you have to make the choice. Am I going to die or am I going to make a change? Um, I've fundamentally don't believe it needs to get to that point before people make change when you truly connect when you start to be present when you start to pay attention from my experience what you start to notice is life is so awe-inspiring life is so magical life is so filled with this like incredible ecstatic um essence which all of us can access when we learn to not be so held back 
by our past and in our heads in the trap of lim limited belief systems and frames of reality, not stressing or being anxious about the future, but actually just present. When you're in that state, it's a natural sense of inspiration and that inspiration can drive huge change. It can give you opportunities to quantum leap in your reality, to become a creator beyond anything that, you know, you previously thought possible when you access that place. Um, so my hope for humanity is surely we've experienced enough suffering now. Surely there's a different way that we can, we can awaken and become more self-actualized. I think everything that's happened this year is like a collective manifestation. Um, no matter what you believe is behind that, whether you believe that, you know, it's all uh, a natural, um, unfolding that's happened, if it's a conspiracy, it doesn't actually matter. All that matters is that it's happened. And this is this is feedback for where we're at collectively. And there's been a huge amount of suffering this year and within that suffering is massive opportunity. Um, and I, I guess one of my fears is if this year hasn't been enough for people to really look in the mirror and be like, okay, what the fuck are we doing wrong? No, <laughs> What's the next bus gonna, gonna be? Yeah, like, what's it going to be? Like, if that's not the bus, what's it going to be? And really, like, what is it going to be? It's the oceans are acidifying, you know, where we don't have, we don't have an unlimited amount of resources. The world's overpopulated. Like, it, it really is time now, now to start asking these questions. And the, when I hear people say, like, I, I just want things to go back to normal, um, after everything that has unfolded this year. That is really concerning for me to hear because I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, really? Like, are you really that asleep? Are you really that controlled by, um, by the system that you wouldn't be asking questions through this time? And I say that with compassion, you know, a lot of compassion. But I guess the invitation and what I'm sharing is don't just think that this has just happened for no reason, that the, the, everything in life is feedback, everything. If there's things that are happening in, in your individual life that irritate you, that annoy you, that frustrate you, that suffocate you, that um, make you sad or put you in a state of suffering, all of that is feedback and you don't have to be a victim of that. When you start to see that life is literally just a feedback loop of your inner world, then you can start to navigate it a little bit differently without, without the attachment. Okay, this thing is, is making me feel suffocated. This circumstance or this person is making me feel um, sadness or unhappiness. All you need to do in that situation is notice and make change accordingly. It doesn't have to be a, a dramatic you know, process or a deeply emotional process every single time. It, it can just be something that you notice you see, you're like, okay, I am an infinite being with an, an infinite amount of potential to create my reality. All I have to do is choose differently. Take that feedback and choose differently. Just like if you invested in a restaurant that you really didn't like, there's a chance that you wouldn't go back to that restaurant. I would hope if you didn't enjoy the experience. What if you were to just see the choices that you're making day to day and where you choose to invest your time, your emotion, your love, um, and start to see whether or not there's a return on that investment. And if there's not, choose again, you know, choose differently. Yeah, I think one of the, the problems that we have collectively is that <clears throat> we're so used to living in one way that we, we don't know what the alternative is. 
you're saying like, okay, choose differently and then you'll get something different. But I think so many people are just not even aware that that choice is an option. Um, and I, I remember you talking, I think it was in your TED talk um, about role modeling and how important that is because, yeah, I just, I, I see a lot of people acting dysfunctionally and I can only see it because I was that person too. And when you see that dysfunction has become so normalized that we, we don't actually even notice that it's causing us so much suffering and the, the alternative, especially, you know, when people like us talk about love and you know, meditation and openness, I think a lot of people just think like, what the hell are they on about? Um, and yeah, I, I think that's why it's so important to, to role model this behavior because unless you see it and then can kind of imitate it, experience it and then feel for yourself that return on investment, it's very difficult to make a different choice. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's a powerful, a powerful point. Um, I guess like what I would encourage people to begin looking at is, well, what is, just ask the question, what is role modeled as normal? You know, when you see politicians give you absolutely no reason to vote for them and only reasons to not vote for the opposition, for instance, ask questions. This person isn't, this person is defaming their opposition, not actually giving me a reason to trust in them. Like, what is that? That's what has been normalized now in, in politics globally. As an example, it's normal to eat food that's processed. It's normal to eat a huge amount of sugar, even though sugar is more addictive than cocaine. It's normal to um, sit under artificial lights and not spend any time in nature. You know, that's normal. That's what's been role modeled to us, but it's not natural. It's, it's not actually, it's so disconnected from our, from our natural way of, of being. It's normal to spend your weekends going and writing yourself off with your friends and you're considered weird when you don't do that, when alcohol is literally poison like you're going and poisoning yourself making really terrible decisions that are destroying your life and that's normal like just start asking questions as soon as you start asking questions i think you will start to navigate um a deepening of self-reflection and self-inquiry and you will start to find answers but because people don't even think to question things it's sort of like there was a um a study that was done very famous, most listeners may have heard of it, where an elephant was tied to a pole as a baby. And every time it tried to walk away, it was obviously constrained by the pole it was tied to. As it became an adult, they actually untied it from the pole. But the elephant never walked away. Even though it wasn't constrained, it was no longer tied to the pole. And what it, what it was proving was that elephant at any point could have walked away. But because it was conditioned by those experiences in early childhood, it never thought to as an adult. So let's, let's put that over to the human, you know, programming and conditioning that we've gr grown up within. If you've been told things like change is really hard, you have to work really hard. You can't do what you love. That's only People don't change. <laughs> That's what I heard a lot. Yeah, one of the things that I was told consistently by my parents was no good deed goes unpunished. Basically, like, don't be a nice person because it's just going to slap you in the face. Like, what kind of belief system is that <laughs> you grow up, up in, you know? Like, money doesn't grow on trees. Like, we, we hear all of these things. 
Um, and then we, you know, there's all of these, this, all of this potential in our life all the time, but where the elephant that was tied to the pole as a child and now is free and sovereign, but we're not aware of the, um, we're not aware of our own sovereignty because we're not even thinking to question things. So let's say there's a, a person and he's, you know, working, he's in a normal daily life, working a job, going about his thing. And you came and just like, you know, flipped a switch and descended a shower of love all over this person. How, how would their life change? How would their choices change? Like, how would that look? Um, well, if they truly had an embodied experience of love, I mean, to me, love is the space that you enter where everything connects. There's, there's no longer a sense of separation. That, that to me is why my deepest devotion in life is to, to love and more deeply embodying love, which means transcending, you know, judgments, transcending the aspects of my humanness that are in ego and keeping me separate from things. And the ego is very good at convincing you that it's doing that to, to make you feel powerful or to make you feel better than. But again, the truth is um, all of us are connected. I am you, you are me. And it's not until we surrender the ego and we truly live in that state of love that we can become fully aware of what we are. Like that that's the deepest truth in us is that I am you, you are me, we're one, we're one humanity, we're one earth. That um, I am the same, I'm made of the same particles that 99.9% .9 of the universe is made of. Like that's the portal you enter where you really start to realize I'm a miracle. <laughs> like everyone deserves to realize that they don't have to do anything to be magnificent. They don't have to do anything to be incredible. Just your very existence is a miracle. And perhaps that sounds like a cliche thing that a lot of people in, you know, development say, but it truly like you can have an experience of this. If you've ever fallen in love, like have a think about how all of a sudden, all of these things that you thought were important are suddenly not important anymore. That you could get, um, you know, your wallet stolen and your car keyed, but if you were feeling in love, if you were in the process of falling in love with someone, it's like, it doesn't matter anything could happen to you and you still feel amazing. Love is like this immunity. And it's not just because it's this magical thing. It's because it's who you are. So when you're connected to that, you realize I'm whole. Yeah. You can steal my wallet. You can keep my, it doesn't mean anything because I'm all of a sudden when I'm in a state of love that they're not the things that are defining me. They're not, they're not the ego constructs. They're not, my identity is less important than me experiencing what I am. So when you're in that space, it's like, I don't know, there's just so much completion. And when you feel complete, then you can create anything because you're not separate to anything. You're, you're reminding me of this quote from Rumi where he says, <clears throat> we cannot seek for love. We can only seek to destroy the barriers for love within us. Yes, I love Rumi. <laughs> so for, for someone who's listening to this and maybe is thinking like, wow, this sounds great. Like I want to have more love in my life. I want to feel more connected and happier and more surrendered. Yet in theory, that sounds great, but I, I'm not there. How do I get there? Mm. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think I've sort of mentioned a couple of um, first steps. Step one, ask questions, ask more questions. Step two, become aware of your judgments. Become really aware of when you're separating yourself from others and why that is. Could be something really superficial, like they're just not my type. I don't like their style. They're less educated than me. They're not as cool as me or they're cooler than me. They're more successful than me. It's either, I think the ego exists on a spectrum of either inferiority or superiority. So just start to notice where you're doing that in your life because it's a massive barricade to experiencing love. Um, and fundamentally where that comes from is you feeling like you're not enough. So you're trying to um, control your environment to keep yourself safe. Other than that, um, there's so much I can say to this because it's, it's like my life work, you know, it's like, this is what I, this is what I think about all day is how do people come closer to love. Um, I think another really powerful first step is ask yourself, what do I believe about love? Do I even believe in love? Because if you don't believe in love, then, you know, you can't experience it. And I think we have grown up in a world that says, do you need to see it to believe it? But the truth is you need to believe it before you see it. So love is all around you all the time, but unless you believe in it, it's, it's not going to be in your awareness. It's like right now, if you were to focus on the color red, for instance, you can just do this as a listener, look around the room and make sure that your focus is on red and just notice now how you were noticing things that two seconds ago were not in your frame of awareness. And just notice that if you're looking at a laptop screen, maybe it's one of the app icons, maybe it's logos that are present to you that have the color red. Maybe it's, maybe you're in public listening to this and someone's shirt is red, whatever it is. And just realize how before I asked that, asked that of you, you were not noticing those things, but those things were there. They were always there. So when you don't have awareness placed or focus placed, on love being true and love being real, then your brain's not seeking out evidence to support that. And that's almost like when, when I introduce that concept to people, they're like, there's no way it can be that easy. I'm just meant to like believe and focus on love and more of it will come to me. But everything about your reality is constructed that way. If you were go around thinking people are dicks and I always get ripped off and people always screw me over and life's really hard, your brain is an evidence building machine. Your brain is designed to make you right. If you have positive beliefs or negative beliefs, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's out to actually, it's called confirmation bias. Confirm what it is you're telling it. Confirm what it is you're believing. So start questioning your beliefs and start to entertain the possibility of different beliefs being real and just play with it. Like tell life, tell the universe, tell yourself in your own inner narrative. Um, I'm open to seeing love. I'm open to experiencing love. I'm open to um, being loved. And just notice how that changes the way you're showing up, the things that you're noticing in life, and therefore changes your experience of these things.
Beautiful. That's a really good, really good exercise. I, as you, as you were talking, I was also just a bit of a side topic, but I think love as a concept in general in our society <clears throat> means a lot of different things for different people. And something that I'm very aware of within myself was that along this journey, I realized that what I thought was love was not necessarily love. And I think very often, you know, we love with a lot of expectation. We love with a lot of attachment. We love to get something instead of to give selflessly. So maybe you can just talk about a little bit about that as sort of the difference between, you know, a more pure form of love and what we're, you know, the love that's on a Valentine's card. <laughs> mm. I get asked this question so much. Is unconditional love real? <laughs> and you know it's interesting because humans um are like this infinite being this like vessel of unconditional love and infinite imagination and yet we're in this conditional existence we're in an existence that's finite you know there's going to come a time where we die that um resources are finite and yet we have the ability to like think in a limitless way and i think there's a, there's that tension as a human being between um the need to exist within those conditions and the desire to be loved unconditionally and it's a lifelong journey you know i think fundamentally what i feel what i believe what i know to be true about my own experience is fundamentally you are unbounded, limitless love. That's what you are. Um, you're also living in this third dimensional reality, which is defined by conditions. <laughs> and I think fear comes into this a lot. You know, we, we find something we love or someone we love and simultaneously we are connected to this infinite possibility that is that love and absolutely fucking terrified of losing it. And so the way that that tension plays out is I want to possess this person. I want to possess this thing because in possessing it, in making it mine, which is where attachment and control and um, conditions and expectations, all of it comes down to you wanting to possess that person in a way that you, that makes you feel more safe. That safety is never guaranteed anyway. You know, that you can have someone that you love so much turn around and say, you know, I'm, I'm all yours. You have me completely in every single way. But we still have, you know, absolutely no control of what the future looks like. You could lose that person tomorrow. I hope that never happens to everyone listening. But ultimately, that is a possibility that all of us are subject to because as a human being, there's so much that's outside of our control. The only thing that we can control is our own internal experience, which is why I love the sentiment of this podcast. So generally what I've discovered is I have a more profound experience of love when I let go of the need to possess it because I'm spending less time focused on how I can possess that person or possess that thing and more time appreciating it, more time being present to it. And the other big shift that I learned in that was in surrendering the need to control and the need to possess, it allowed love to become my teacher rather than me trying to impose my love onto, onto situations. 
love was teaching me in all my friends and I think in relationships especially especially with a lover and intimate partner the ultimate invitation in intimacy is to practice loving not to get to, to practice loving and when you see your partner as that space to become better more attuned more generous with your love your life will improve in every single way in and in and outside of the relationship your life will improve professionally your life will improve in your relationships and that's the the power of intimacy of having someone so close mirror those things back to you that's why all of our shit comes up in intimacy as well like that person's really close you know and and they mean so much to you so everything is intense intensified but if you can let go of the need to possess that person and i'm not saying like a lot of people will hear me say that and they think like are you saying that you're not meant to be with one person like what about this what about that i think ultimately like love doesn't really care about any of that and if you're truly meant to be with someone and be with them for the rest of your life then should that not be a result of what is actually aligned and real and true and not a matter of possessing or controlling that other person or feeding them into a box of what it means to be a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife um that you as an individual are on your own soul's journey and the best thing i could do in loving you is to be the ultimate cheerleader someone that stood beside you rather than tried to control the direction that you were traveling just to make me feel more comfortable and safe yeah I, I guess we just as you said we really cling on to these moments where we feel so connected through the experience of being in love that we just maybe it's because we're a little bit starved of it that we just cling on a little bit too tight and and in that way we stop the next moment of connection coming in because we're then not in the moment anymore but we're back stuck worrying about the past and the future there's actually a really beautiful quote from Khalil Gibran about that but the, the exact words are escaping me but it's something about like do, do not cling to a winged joy let it fly into the something about the sunset and you know let, let the next winged joy come come into your life I'm a bit of a quote yeah. junkie by the way <laughs> I love quotes I'm always quoting on this podcast <laughs> I have a really love- beautiful one that you're gonna love that I'm gonna that we'll close with so I'd love to talk a little bit about your movement because I I think it's so cool that you started this movement and I was listening to your TED talk where you um, jumped into a van with some friends and a dog one or two dogs um, and went around Australia wanting to share your message and your your discoveries Um, I'm just fascinated by that I think it's awesome I'd love to hear more about you know what made you just say like okay I'm off (laughs) I'm gonna do this and And even, you know, it is quite a big responsibility as well to hold space for others. Um, I got the sense that maybe you didn't have that much experience at the time. So it's also quite brave. You're probably quite out of your comfort zone to just kind of rock up and say like, okay, I want to share with you what I know. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even now I look back at those years and I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) um but I was inspired you know and that's that's the power like the word inspired means within your spirit and I think I'd seen such dark days and I'd found a way out of that prison and my connection to divinity and love was so immense like daily I was overcome by the beauty of this life 
And I think it was the exact polarity to the contrast of being so deeply disconnected and in the darkness. So in having those experiences, like crying daily at the beauty that I saw in the world, I was just, you know, I was trying to go to uni for the first two months of leaving um, the performance academy that I was, that I graduated from. No idea how I graduated, but I did through that time. Um, and I would just sit in my lectures for those two months and just think like, what the fuck? Like, this is not it. This cannot, there's got to be more. Like I was doing a, a major in consumer psychology. So I was doing a marketing degree and just what I was learning was like, sell people the idea that they're not enough. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I just don't, I can't dedicate my life to this. Um, so again, like it started with an openness. I love, sorry to interrupt and, you, but I love the way how that went to then sell people the idea that they are enough. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to, I'm going to plan this mechanism for good. I've got to sell people the idea that they're complete unconditional love. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think from that, it was just like an openness to, okay. Um, and I, I feel like my God is love. And the way I experience that God is, is in a very personal way. Like I speak to love. I speak to the life force that um, is around me at all times. And it, it talks to me. It guides me. Like when I'm, when I'm lost and when I feel limited or afraid, I'll ask that presence that I experience as love, you know, what do you, where do you, how do you want to use me? What's for me? What, what is my path? And by asking those questions, I'm guided. And I think at that point in my life, I was asking those questions and I wanted to know that there was a, there was a greater purpose for me. And honestly, it was a series of profound synchronicities that started to occur. I started to have dreams. I had a reoccurring dream that I was traveling and um, speaking. And I was having very profound symptoms of, I guess, an awakening. Like for days straight, I had intense ringing in my ears. Um, synchronicities to the point that I thought I was going insane. You know, like I would think something and it would happen immediately. I was having um visions hot flushes like also i had no one around me to validate those experiences so i was like like i'm either going absolutely insane or you know something's trying to happen here um and through that guidance things just started to fall into place i met the right people i i started having dreams about the van that i ended up buying so i was very guided to that um and I secured a corporate partner that was a very like prestigious, it was one of Australia's biggest um, super funds, which is like a, the subsection of a bank is the easiest way to describe it. Um, ended up sponsoring that, that tour. So I had a lot of media support and this was from nothing, like a curiosity that I was following and an intuition that I was following uh, and a team came together and we started to travel Australia and we were running these workshops in communities and it just started to build this momentum. You know, what initially had so much resistance, which was conversations of vulnerability and love, you know, no one wanted to engage in those conversations. 
what started to happen was the more those spaces were held and yeah, it was out of my comfort zone, but at the same time, it so wasn't about me that we, and that made it so much easier to be brave because it wasn't just about me. Like I felt I was being pulled by a force that was so much greater than me. Um, and the stories that were coming out of these communities were really profound. Like the healing that was coming out of these communities was really amazing. And those stories started to become, um, I guess, what fed the curiosity of other communities. And we were being invited to stay at people's homes like strangers or invited us to the dinner and families were cooking us meals like crazy. Elders in the desert in Australia inviting us to sit in circle with them. Um, and what I realized was we are very supported when we devote ourselves fully to, to something. And I didn't know the how in the beginning. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I just, I trusted completely and I kept choosing it um, even when it seemed uncertain or illogical. I kept choosing to trust that direction and trust that path. And the more that happened, the more I was guided and being put in the right place at the right time. And that really has been the last 10 years of my life is a series of synchronicities that's, that I've said yes to that have kept guiding me in the right direction. I think that's just so beautiful. I have shivers when you were saying that. I, I so believe the same thing, you know, that when, when we devote ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, that magic really, really takes over. And synchronicities are just like a little beautiful sign to say you're on the right track. Keep going, keep saying yes, keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Um, I think it's so beautiful. I was, I was really fascinated about, um, I think it was in your TED talk that you mentioned that you were holding spaces for people where you would just get people to acknowledge each other and how powerful that was. And the reason why it fascinates me is because I've, I've seen people be really moved to tears just from someone telling them, I love you, I see you. And it's really quite amazing that we are in this condition as human beings, that something so simple as just being seen by another human being can touch us and change us so deeply. Did, like, was that something that you learned? Was that something just intuitively, maybe you have some other stories about just how deep that kind of work is? For sure. I mean, so to explain the power of acknowledgement, until the way that we're programmed, in our neurology as a human being is our subconscious minds just want us to acknowledge um, the parts of us that we haven't fully acknowledged. And so when we don't acknowledge, say, experiences that have created trauma or emotions that we're feeling, our subconscious mind will not give up. You know, the suppression of those things, it doesn't just disappear just because you're choosing to not look at it. It continues to be there and it continues to play out. Um, so when someone sees us without needing to change our experience, without needing to advise us, they just see us for who we are in that moment. It's one of the most profound things we can experience as a human being. And it's naturally transformative when we're witnessed. It's a natural, naturally transformative experience. And it's very, that's a very different view to say the health system that I was within growing up and going through my illness it was very like we need to um we need to aggressively treat the symptoms 
and we need to be reactive and we need to you know make all of these changes and actually what i found in my work is when we get out of the way and we see someone fully in their experience and the subconscious mind and that human being feels like they're fully accepted and welcome as they are then the subconscious mind can let those traumas go can let these things go because finally they're seen yeah and just a reminder that it's really important for us to do this to ourselves as well because we 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 also really don't acknowledge our light and our good qualities um, you know that that difficulty that we have to just receive our own goodness as well can really be a barrier to our own love ability to love ourselves and then to love others also really want, really want to touch on what you said about um, you know that inspiration to do what you've done because I could really relate to my own experiences that when I when I felt most connected and most in love where the moments where I really felt called to serve and I remember once in, in one of my strongest experiences I remember literally thinking I will I will withstand any amount of pain to give love and I think that's something that we really need to remember to, to seek those experiences because that's going to be the fuel for our service and that's going to be that's going to give us capabilities that we didn't even know we have. And that's, you know, what your story reminded me of. Like, I don't know how to hold space. I don't know what I'm doing. Really, I'm just inspired by this love and this desire to serve. And I'm going to let that guide me. And I think that's, that's such a beautiful message for everyone. Yes, yes, yes. It's everything that you said. You know, that's the power of devotion. It's like being devotional. You, you will find a way. You can't not find a way when you show up in devotion. And you'll be guided and the, the state of devotion because so much surrender is required to be devotional you're so receptive to guidance and that's like that that could be a whole other podcast this is the state of of devotion but just think about that when you're devotional and you're surrendered therefore you're completely open to, to guidance there's no resistance in you anymore there's no fight. There's no conflict. The conflict can only occur when you haven't made up your mind or when you're torn in different directions. But when you're in a state of devotion, it's a single choice that you're making. And that, that's my practice is I choose love. No matter how irrational it seems, no matter how crazy it seems, no matter like what it looks like on paper, I will keep choosing love as my, as my God and as my path and as my direction. And because all of that choosing power is not required anymore because I'm just making the one choice again and again and again. There's so much space for me to build an extraordinary life within that and to be guided and for the universe to say yes to me as well. Beautiful. I love that. Reminding me of a, a phrase that a friend of mine who I need to introduce you to always says, which is love will find a way and everything else will find an excuse. <laughs> oh. Rumi said that, love will find a way. And yeah, also it was a Rumi. I love, um, love has other plans. That's one of my favorite points in a Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, you mentioned sort of surrender and receptivity there. And I think, I actually really want to get your, your opinion on, on something because this is something I see a lot, which I, I kind of, yeah, I, I have my own thoughts about, <laughs> but 
something that I see quite common nowadays within the spirituality, personal development movements and online and so on is a lot of talk about boundaries, about how, you know, um, we need to have good boundaries to protect ourselves and to love ourselves. Um, but at the same time, love has no boundaries. So I feel like there's almost this, this conflict where on one side we're being told like, have your boundaries, you need to care for yourself, you know, so you have to learn to say no to others. But then when you experience love, there's absolutely no boundaries there. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, <laughs> boundaries, should we have them? Are they helpful? How does that fit in with this concept of love? Yeah, I get asked this question all the time. And the one thing um, I think that's most important to look at in, inside this question is the cognitive distinction that's being made through this question, which states, loving you is different to loving me. And when we can let go of that cognitive idea, because it's not the truth, then you start to you start to see that whole concept in a very different way because loving me is loving you just like loving you is loving me it's one in the same that doesn't mean that your expectations are always going to be in line with that truth so you could expect me to be showing up in a certain way um and then i might not meet your expectation and you might think you don't love me but expectation isn't love, you know, condition isn't love. That's not the truth. So when you can start to move beyond that way of thinking about things, it just invites a different framework. For me, it's, it's not a matter of setting boundaries. It's a matter of, of, of loving myself and trusting that in loving myself, I am naturally loving you. And if that means I can't come to coffee with you today because I'm not actually in a state where I can give, it's within my integrity to make that choice. And you might get triggered and angry because I'm not meeting your expectation. But again, that's not coming from a place of love. So by me choosing self-love, um, I will inevitably love you. And by me serving another person, I'm inevitably choosing myself. It's one and the same. Yeah. It's just a fine line, though, because obviously the ego is very good at, at tricking us, tricking ourselves sometimes into, you know, what is really love and then what is just kind of comfort and pleasure and satisfaction. I think, you know, a lot of the practices, you know, within the self-development movement, things like journaling and meditation really help you to kind of get more honest with yourself so that that choice is actually an honest choice as opposed to kind of a less honest one let's say right yeah you've got to transcend guilt um or like the expectations you place on yourself to show up in a particular way to really find that place of um equanimity you know like where there's a synergy and that that is the truth always of love that if i'm choosing to love me then i'm choosing to love you and if i'm choosing to love you i'm choosing to love me it's one and the same yeah i think this is so needed in today's world because we've we've so lost that sense of community it's it's almost like we've forgotten how to be together and connected in a way that is is good for everyone right like sort of that that idea that the success of the community helps the success of the individual but the success of the individual also helps that good of the community i feel like it's such an important time for us as human beings to just 
open our minds to learning more about this stuff and, and always thinking that there's always room for growth and how we can show up and be in community together because it's it's such a necessary step along the healing journey for us to create a better society together yes so much i want to read you, i want to read you this quote which i think you're gonna love yeah it's from a, a jesuit paleontologist <laughs> believe it or not who has wow. whose name is pierre Talard de chardin um, and he wrote Someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And then for a second time in the history of, of the world, man will have discovered fire. I love it so much. How beautiful. Isn't it amazing as well how so many people can come to this same realization through such different avenues? Yeah, I... To the truth of love i don't know what will <laughs> yeah i'm a big fan of joseph campbell and you know the idea of the hero's journey how we're all heroes going on this journey within to find love and even though we all have our own unique path and our own unique way to discover the lessons at the base it's all the same even the metaphors are all the same the stories are all the same the, the things we need to discover inside are all the same and yeah it is really beautiful i mean we this is the first time we're talking uh, ever <laughs> we just met but you know when you have that common experience and common values you feel connected straight away and i think yeah. you know in our globalized world this is something you know we have a lot of connections now which are very surface level and very superficial but if we can discover ourselves then you know we're going to be able to come together in so much more deep and fulfilling way mm, exactly yeah Shared vision is crucial for that, like you just said. Shared vision and understanding your value system so you can bring people in who align with you in those ways. Yeah. So what's what's next for the Love Out Loud movement? You know, how can people get involved? Maybe you can just say a little bit more about it because we didn't go into too much depth. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's many different things that Love Out Loud does uh, from events to um, online trainings and one of the commitments that we've made to our community which is an incredible community and you should all consider yourself a part of that community now extended family of the community um, have really communicated back to us is they want a centralized space where we can have these important conversations and be mobilized to keep choosing love and with everything that's happening in the world we've decided to take that feedback really seriously. So we've developed a membership and we're, we're gonna to continue to build that out as the center platform for the whole community to um, be connected. So I would say that's the, the best first point of call to, um, to connect to what we're doing. If you just go to our URL, I can give it to you here and maybe you can post it. Yeah, um, perfect. And I think you've or, written a book, right? So if people want to you know, learn more about love, and the Love Out Loud movement, and um, they can get your book from your website. For sure, the book, or it's on Audible as well, Love Out Loud. Um, so yeah, that's also a great first starting point. Or you can look me up on social media as well. Beautiful, yeah, I'll post all of the links to your website and social in our page. Do you, do you have any maybe final thoughts of anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap it up? No, I'm just feeling grateful. It was a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing your story, your go-within journey. And I think it's so beautiful that you've 
you know, use your own journey to be inspired to serve others. I'm always inspired by people who actually take love and express that in a tangible way into society. I think it's it's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. So thank you for being a role model. Thank you for your time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I really wish you all the success in your Love Out Loud movement. We, The world definitely needs it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thanks everyone for listening and all these people out there, listeners who resonate with this message of the importance of go within that truly touches my heart that people are resonating with this this message and actually taking action to seek within their own self and and walk this path which is definitely not always you know easy and beautiful it has its its challenging moments and i hope some of the things you hear in this podcast give you the fuel to to keep going and point you in the right direction for some tools that will will help you along the way if you get stuck in any dark nights of the soul <laughs> on route so thank you all for listening and please share this with with someone who you feel might benefit from it thank you all so much mm-hmm.